Welcome back to the show, you radical human you. Do you have a radical relationship? Do you want a radical relationship? Do you even know what that means? I'm just saying radical over and over again, but what a radical relationship means is one that you are proud to be in, that's invigorating, that's exciting, and one you can call in if you're looking for that man or woman in your life. So that's what today's episode is all about. I'm going to lay out just that topic, rules for a radical relationship. And full transparency, I'm not sitting here saying I am the king and the know-all of healthy relationships, but I have been with my wife for 10 years and we've learned a lot on that process and we're consistently growing together. So I wanted to share some of those ideas, some of those rules, be open to learning a lot more along the way because that's what we're always doing inside of relationship. And then we speak to Alexa today who called in with a question about motherhood. She is an expecting mother who is raising her developing human inside of her and has an animal-based lifestyle as an athlete and wants to continue lifting and being radical and getting in the sauna, but just wants some peace of mind around some contraindicated topics. You know, is it okay to drink raw milk? Is it okay to do all of that? I keep getting told this by my doctor and family. What should I do? So we dive into that topic a little bit. So buckle up. If you're in a relationship, this should be really valuable for you. If you're looking to get into a radical relationship, this should be even more valuable for you. Let's do it. Hello friends, welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking all about relationships, but not just any old relationships. We're talking about radical relationships. What does that even mean? And before we get into it, this is more focused on romantic radical relationships. How do you have the kind of relationship with your partner that you really feel good about, that excites the both of you, that becomes the container that you can grow individually and collectively. So I'll be laying out some of my top rules for a radical relationship, and the caveat here is I'm still learning, and whilst I'll map out six rules or so today, there is probably infinitely more, but I have been with my now wife for 10 years, and we have what we feel is a radical relationship. We're connected, we're growing together, we've became parents, we've had so much adventure and fun, and it only seems to be getting better. And this is one of the things that many people struggle with. You know, we can sit here and talk about diet and lifestyle change and habits and working out, and all of that is so important because that helps you be your healthier self and show up in relationship. But so much of what we derive as joy and meaning in our lives is actually in the relationship and working on the relationship. So that's really what we're going to focus on today because this is one of the reasons why we want to be our healthier self so we can call in the right kind of person, have the right kind of relationship. So we've got life to, we've got somebody to share a radical life with. So what we're going to start with firstly is what happens if you're tuning into this podcast and you're like, but I don't have the relationship right now. So what use is this to me? Well, we got you too. I'm going to discuss a few things that I think are important for a person that's looking to call in this kind of radical relationship first. Some practices, some thought experiments, some mindset reframes, etc. And then we'll move into some rules for a radical relationship. So If this is you right now, you're like, I'm ready. I want to find my guy or my gal 
or whatever it is, then I think some of the important things are to really become the kind of person that you want to date. Become the kind of person that is worthy of finding that relationship. You know, I'll often have people ask me, you know, like, how do I find my queen? And the simple answer is become a king worthy of it. And you could flip that. How do I find my king? Become the queen worthy of it. But what's important here is to take a very intentional and aware approach to how you become this for yourself first, at least a little bit. Because if you are not willing to do the work to become the kind of person that you want today, become the kind of person you want to be in relationship with, what you're essentially doing is saying, this other person will complete me, or they will fill in my blanks, or they will be what I cannot be. And whilst there's always going to be that dynamic in relationship where somebody is more of this and, and, and they help you in that way, what we don't want to do is set the scene for a kind of codependency, that what I'm waiting for in my life is the person that's going to allow me to have fun. Because what you're saying to yourself there is, I can't have fun without this person. And what you're saying is my fun is dependent upon this person. And what you really need to practice is how can you have fun without this person first? And by stepping into some of these archetypes, these energies, and going as far as you can go, you potentially create the kind of environment or the kind of magnetism in life to bring in the right kind of person that can enhance that journey with you, that can take you further and further on that journey. So just be wary when we map out like what we're looking for in a partner. A lot of people, I want them to be whatever it is, you know, funny or into fitness and da-da-da-da-da. Like put all of that stuff down. I would encourage you to make a list of like character traits and values that you want to see in that person. And then take an honest look at that list and ask, well, am I embodying these? Um, am I doing this? Do I want the, you know, the healthy, strong partner, but um, am I slacking off a little bit there? Or am I basically saying that, well, when I have that, I'll be able to do it and I'm waiting or I'll be happy when I have this partner and denying myself that gift now. So there's an aspect of this that your, your kind of role of responsibility in this, if you will, is to think about what you're really consciously looking to create inside of a relationship and start to become it to the best of your ability. Now, I believe that radical relationship as a true container for growth is one in which you will find the kind of person that will take you further on that journey of relationship than you ever could have gone on your own. So I do believe there's kind of like a glass ceiling in some senses to the amount of self-development one can do as an individual. And it's very high. You can expand and grow and become a much healthier, happier, integrated person. But when you find the right kind of person, because the container of relationship is so powerful and it's such a mirror, because what, it, what the other person allows you to see is the unhealed stuff in you and the, and the little things that were your blind spots and also the things where they can uplift and inspire you. The exponential growth that's possible inside of a container like that will take you much further. You know, the, the lone wolf mentality right now is a phase that we all go through and it's a valuable one. But we can go further together if we call in the right people. So we have to be willing to step into that a little bit for ourselves too. And that means getting very clear on what we want. I know this sounds very basic, but if you don't know exactly what you want, you are kind of like blindly shooting arrows into the ether and expecting it to magically land and hit the bullseye. And the chances of that are very, very slim. Intentionality is very important. 
you know, when you set an intention for the kind of relationship you want, the kind of person, you actually put an idea in tension. You make it something tangible, something real, something a little bit more that I can hold. And why that's important is I need to know what I want very, very clearly. Because when somebody then enters into my sphere, I get to say, yeah, this person is it. And I think what happens a lot in relationships is we, we can sometimes settle. And I think if there's one area of your life, you should never settle for just okay. Well, you should never sacrifice the great for the good is in relationships. Because whatever things you ignore early on are going to magnify with time. If there's a little crack early on and you choose to ignore it because they say love is blind, which is a bunch of nonsense. Love is not blind. Love is truth. Love is as clear as anything. Lust can be blind. Being with people can get us all in our feels and it can reveal things that, you know, keep getting us stuck. But if we ignore those, they will magnify with time. So we have to be crystal clear on what we want. We have to be very, very clear on what we want from a partner. We also have to be willing to do our part to be a person worthy of receiving that and worthy of being that too. So if it's not a heck yeah with a relationship, then it's probably a hell no, right? Like relationships got to be a full embodied like heck yeah, this is it. And if it's not that, then you shouldn't ignore when the body speaks for what the mind thinks. Right? When your body's giving you these little signals about, hey, there's a bit of a red flag here, and your mind is saying, oh, just shut up, he's, he's cute, or I like what he does, or whatever, or I like what she does, and she's funny, and that's okay, you know, I'll settle. I'm getting too old, you know, I've got to find someone, my biological clock is ticking, my parents are pressuring me, so you settle. It's not that that can't work, because relationships can become the work, and you can heal and grow together, but relationships shouldn't be all work and this is where i think people make the mistake we always hear these adages that you know relationships are really hard work and you got to work at it every day and you've got to choose to love the person and etc etc and whilst there is some truth in that if your relationship is constant work and you feel like you are fighting the biggest uphill battle then the harsh reality is that that person might not be the person for you and everything can be healed and saved, but if the gap is so wide that it becomes such a problem, and maybe what we want to do when we're finding this partner, calling this partner in, is minimize that, right? Instead of being reactive 10 years down the line and having all feelings get hurt, what if we were proactive about finding the partner right now? And you know what the sucky part about that is sometimes? It's gonna mean it can sometimes take a lot of time, and it can sometimes make you have to say no to the things that are not a heck yeah. And what you want right now, like I would love that relationship right now, might be a year away, might be six years away, might be a month away, might be six days away. You don't know, but you have to make sure that when you enter in consciously to a relationship and you see a relationship as this vehicle for transformation, where you get to expand as an individual, two individuals, and also expand the, you know, the container of relationship itself to use that as the vehicle, to use that as the mirror, to keep doing your own work and getting better and holding each other accountable to growth. That's the kind of relationship everybody wants and everybody deserves. So if you're in your singleton era right now and you're doing the whole dating pool and stuff, just think about some of those things, you know, and Try to really find your radical life partner because it's one of the best things that you can experience in life if you, uh, you know, if you experience the gift that is that. But it's got to be very intentional, like all things in life. 
So let's now focus on what to do if you are in relationship uh, or you've been in relationship or you fast forwarded now and six months from now you're in the best relationship of your life and you want to keep that momentum going and you want to keep growing. So again, I've highlighted six rules of my reflection of being with my wife uh, for over a decade, married for seven, becoming parents, lots of trials and tribulations along the way, lots of lessons, lots of growth, and lots more to come. Be foolish for me to sit here and say, I know all the things about relationship because I absolutely don't. But I do know what's worked for us and I do know what is helping us stay connected and grow together. And with time, you'll usually have some setbacks and failures. So a lot of what I say today is, is, is what we've worked through, what we continue to work through. And I'm also completely open to the possibility that there are many, many more lessons along the way. So let's get right into it, shall we? My first rule for a radical relationship is don't sweep things under the rug. A lot of people in relationship will choose to forego the little thing that they're feeling a little bit triggered about because it's not worth the hassle or that's what they'll tell themselves you know what it's not worth the fight it's not worth a difficult conversation right now when the truth is little things done every day are not little things little by little a little adds up to a lot and these little wounds like death by a thousand paper cuts that you ignore because you're telling yourself it's not that big of a deal is actually a massive deal. In relationship, the little things are the big things and you need to treat them that way. And what you sweep under the rug today is only gathering dust and getting bigger tomorrow. And you keep sweeping things under the rug for years, it's big and it's that big elephant in the room and it's, and it's becoming the wedge in the relationship just because nobody initiated the conversation that needs to happen, right? And you can't blame people for that a lot of the time. It's not something we were taught very well. It's, you know, nobody's a master of communication. We have to learn this. Unfortunately, our life, we can learn it. Sports, we can learn it. You know, we, if we seek it out, we can learn it. But most people are not taught or modeled what healthy communication looks like, which is another one of these rules. Moving into number two, which is to communicate your needs. Communicate your needs and meet your partner's needs. Now, this sounds as cliche as anything when it comes to relationship advice, right? Communication is key. Of course it is. We know this. But it's true. Almost all of the problems in your life, whether it's your romantic relationships, your friend relationships, or your relationship to the world, because everything is relational, your conversations with yourself, your relationship to your body, etc., is all about quality communication. I think the better quality questions you ask in life, the better quality results you get, or at least the answers. Now, what you do with the answers is up to you. Right? You've got to actually do something with that information, but you'll never find the good answers if you're not asking good questions. So communication with your partner is massively important because you have to put everything on the table. Like if a relationship is to be the fullness of what it can be, which again is this container to grow together, to get better, to get more connected, to enhance one another and the container, to maybe become parents one day and raise you know, good, well-integrated humans, then communication is everything. And you need to put everything on the table. And that sometimes means the stuff that's hard for you to communicate, because once again, you haven't been shown how to do this, or you didn't have this when you were growing up, whatever it is. But it, it's time in a relationship to really sit down across you know, the aisle from your person and say, what do we want from this? You know, how are you feeling? What's working for us right now? 
What, what do we feel really good about? And you know, what, what have we let go of? What's slipping? What do we need to work on? What do we need to do collectively in the relationship? What do we need to do for ourselves? You know, to still have our own lives and our own identities and our own meeting of our needs. Like what, what are my driving needs? You know, do I like really crave adventure? And right, and this other person on the other side of it really craves safety. And those seem to be, you know, individually, they're, they're great, but collectively they seem to rub up against each other. So how do we have a relationship where both of us can get our needs met? Well, we must communicate here. We must come to a middle ground. We must find a way that I can have my adventure and you can have your sense of security. And it's like this push and pull and it's this interplay. And you can't do that without honest communication because the biggest mistake potentially that you can make in life is to get upset at somebody not doing something that you didn't communicate clearly that you wanted them to do. I say this all the time and it sounds funny, but it's true. You have to assume that your partner is as dumb as you are, right? They're not mind readers. You are not a mind reader. They are not a mind reader. You have to be very honest. You have to say like, this is what I need. This is what you like, ask them, what do you need? How are we going to do this? Like, let's devise a plan. Let's communicate and don't make assumptions. Assumptions get you in an awful lot of trouble. When you live in your head saying he or she should be doing something that they're not doing and now I'm getting triggered and now I'm resenting them for that, but I haven't explicitly stated that, hey, if you do a little bit more of this, it would make me feel a lot more of this. Or hey, when you do this, it makes me feel this way and I have a need for this. Then we're adults, we're mature, we grow together, we have the difficult conversations that actually enhance the relationship and make the relationship so much easier. There's that paradigm again of easy choices creates a hard life. It's quote unquote easier to not have a difficult conversation with your partner. It's easier. Oh, I don't want to do that. Let's just watch Netflix. But the hard life that is a consequence of that is time. That stuff you're sweeping under the rug is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Those cracks are widening and widening. And there might come a point where it feels like it's impossible to close that gap. So the harder choice now is to have that conversation and hard choices consistently create the easier life. So you must communicate your needs. My third rule for a radical relationship is to choose adventure. Choose adventure. If relationship, the kind of relationship that I believe humans want is this exciting container for growth, then it's not about the very mundane things of just going through the motions and becoming black. It's about adventure because the adventure piece here is where we push each other to grow a little bit. We get outside of our comfort zone. I think the best thing my wife and I ever did was travel. Like we did a lot of travel when we were first getting together, four years of backpacking and adventuring and working abroad. And because in those situations, nothing is safe and everything is unpredictable and new, you get to learn a lot about yourself. And if you're doing this with another person, you get to learn a lot about each other's needs, how you respond to things and how you get to kind of navigate and pull each other up, lift each other up and celebrate certain things. And adventure is really this excitement and fun in life. And I think if there's a thing that I see a lot when I'm coaching clients or talking to people in relationships, it's, it's often that, you know, I love the person, but we've just lost that spark. You know, we've lost that zest. We, we're just kind of stuck in a rut. We just do the same things, love them to death, you know, but it's not that fun. And 
there's got to be some fun in life, right? There's got to be some adventure. There's got to be some spontaneity. So it doesn't have to be four years of backpacking. You might be at a phase in life where that's not possible for you right now, but hopefully you come back to it when you're all retired and stuff. But what you could do is just initiate a surprise weekend getaway away, you know, particularly tip for the men here. The, the, the woman in your life, if you're in that kind of relationship, is really going to just just get all gushy, moot, like just so juicy and like be able to surrender into your leadership if you would just become spontaneous and lead and not be so predictable and safe. Our, our brains are very like logical and put together and the feminine is very like creative and wants that fun and wants that adventure. But you lead, you provide that role of leadership. So do that, surprise your girl, surprise your wife. And of course, women, you could do this too because the alternative is you wait for your man to do it and maybe he doesn't do it. Maybe he doesn't listen to Radical Health Radio. Maybe he doesn't know this stuff, but you can become the example, right? So this is the other thing in, inside of a relationship. We we must be the example for our, our person too. You know, we one of the very common things that happens, especially in this world, is one person starts to grow in the space of health and wellness. They start to want to change their diet and upgrade their habits. And the other person is very set in their ways. And the one thing they want more than anything else is a partner to do that with. And because maybe they're not communicating that efficiently enough or effectively enough, then they kind of grow slowly apart. So what, what we need to understand is you can lead a horse to water, you can't make it drink, but you can make the horse thirsty. You can make the horse curious. And you do that through your example. You do that through shaking the snow globe of the stagnant relationship by choosing the adventure, by pushing the boundaries and just doing something that's a little fresh and a little exciting. Uh, number four and a radical rule for an awesome relationship is to rewrite the contracts. And what I mean by this is in relationships, there are a lot of unwritten rules and contracts. Now, in some cases, there's a, there's a real written contract that we call a marriage license. But I'm more speaking here of when we enter into a relationship with someone, let's say we've been with them for a year or 10 years or whatever it is, we kind of, you know, we take up an agreement, if you will, that this is who you are, this is who I am, this is what we expect of each other. And then that's the uh, foundation that we build from. But we don't actually actively update the contract. And then we grow, we change. I don't know about you, but if I think about who I was 10 years ago when I got with my wife, I'm a very, very different person. And if we were still playing by the same rules and roles that was established in that initial contract when we decided to strike up a relationship, we would not be where we're at today because we're not the same people. So if we're running this old paradigm, this old data, these old expectations, and we're not consciously saying like, wait a minute, we've changed a lot. Why don't we change the rules? Why don't we rewrite the contract? Again, all of this stuff we were just speaking about is communication is critical here on what do we want, etc. But we must rewrite the contract. We must sit down across the table and we don't actually have to get out a pen and paper, but decide who you are, what you want, where you're heading, what are your shared goals and collective? What do you find a shared purpose over in the relationship? How is that inbuilt into this written or spoken agreement between us so that we know we're both pointed at the same thing and we live our own lives too you know you might be going this way in your personal life and her that way and vice versa but we have a shared agreement a shared goal a shared purpose this is why you know becoming parents can be incredibly uniting for parents because they have a shared purpose the purpose now is this family 
Whereas before, maybe it's the purpose is my career and the purpose over here is my art. And they can coexist. Absolutely, they can. But we want to make sure that they're coexisting in a healthy way by rewriting the contract and not playing old games with old expectations based on old versions of yourself because you are not that same person anymore. So make peace with that. Celebrate that. It's great that you changed. It's great that they changed. And make sure that we keep course correcting over the way so we come closer together instead of slowly drifting apart. Rule number five for a radical relationship is to bring your A-game. And what I mean by this is you are the only person responsible for your 50% of the relationship. If a relationship is two halves coming together to make a whole, you are fully responsible for bringing 100% of your 50%. You cannot expect your partner to give 120% when you're operating at an 80% with that deficit because it's not humanly possible. You have to bring what you can bring to the relationship. Again, you have to be that example. You have to be that partner that you would want to be for your partner so that they love you for the long run, so that they stay attracted to you, so that you guys stay connected. And you need to do that by owning your responsibility of your half of the pie, right? The yin and yang, the white fish and the black fish, whichever one you are, the white and the black, right? You've got to fill as much of that as possible with your potential, with your leadership, with your courage, with your heart, with your truth. Because if you start to shave off and they start to shave off, there's a big energy gap there. And it also doesn't work the other way when you're, you feel like you're trying to give 150% because your partner's only giving 50%. But if you do that without communicating it, it's just going to turn into sour grapes at an existential level eventually. You're just going to become resentful of the person because you're like, I'm trying so hard and this person doesn't seem bothered. But let's rewind a little bit. Have you communicated that honestly, openly, not in an attacking way, not in a judging way that I get triggered because he doesn't do the dishes and I make some you know, little pithy remarks and that causes us to be separated and now I'm just going to bed. But like, honestly, as an adult, again, learning to communicate. I don't think I said this in the step about communication, but I'm going to make a point to say it now. If you haven't read the book, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, I think it should be mandatory reading for people that want to have a well put together relationship. And by the way, that book will help you with everything else in life from your work, your career, negotiating, like everything, because it fundamentally gets to the crux of what is communication and people basically are acting in ways to get their needs met. And there's a way in which we can both do that if we learn to communicate. And, and it's an art, you know, the nonviolent piece is the essential nature that the way in which most of us communicate is violent, not necessarily in the sense that I'm calling you dumb or calling you names, but in the sense of it's kind of selfish and it's kind of judging. And when I say things, I don't take into account how those words can make another person feel and what that does to them. And that becomes a wedge. And that's how most of us communicated. That's how most of us still communicate, even some of us that are aware of this, because patterns are hard to break. And I still fall into these patterns sometimes, but I'm much more aware of it now. So I can communicate nonviolently in a way that gets us to come together as opposed to gets us to drive apart. So nonviolent communication and bringing 100% of your 50% and just doing your best because that's all you can do. But truly asking yourself, am I, am I doing that? I know there's a lot to do in life. I know you've got a lot of pressure on your plate, but also if you want the relationship to be radical, if you want the relationship to thrive, you have to be treating it that way too. You have to be nurturing the relationship. It's like a living thing. It's not just two people that you know cohabitate. It's, it's a living thing. It needs to be nurtured. You need to breathe fresh life into it. You need to bring your A game. And the beautiful thing about a relationship in that sense 
is you can use the inbuilt accountability of it. If you're communicating all of this stuff, if you're holding each other accountable, if you're challenging one another and you're having these honest conversations, then the beautiful thing about that is you're, you're in it with someone. You don't have to go it alone. If you're watching this right now and you're single and you know how hard it is to just do all of this stuff alone and now think the juxtaposition and the contrast of having a supportive partner in that, like it's, it's so good. It's so, so good. But it only is going to work that way if you work for it and make it work that way. All right. Uh, number six for your rule, radical relationships, is more actions and less show. And what I mean by this is we live in a world of showing how much we love our partners with social media posts, woman crush Wednesdays, man crush Mondays, Valentine's Day, look at this big fat rock I bought for them. Or look at the, you know, the, the Gucci handbag my husband bought for me or, you know, whatever it is. Like instead of just celebrating love on days, we're told to celebrate love, usually with consumerism, like Valentine's Day or Christmas Day or whatever it is with gifts. What if we celebrated love every day in the small daily actions that again, really matter? What if instead of once a week on a woman crush Wednesday, you talked about how much you love your person. What if you loved them in real life? Now you can do both too. Like if you're loving your person in real life, show them off on social media if that's your thing. Celebrate them if that's your thing. But I think the trip, the, the trap here is that a lot of people have an externally beautiful relationship that they present to the world. Look at our perfect little relationship and our perfect family. And if you get under the facade of that, you see two people that maybe don't have that in real life because they've missed some of these steps along the way. And they don't have the daily acts of, of affection, like the real action. They just have the show. But the show isn't going to make you feel happy. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how, how good it looks on social media and how perfect other people think your relationship is if it's not actually right. It doesn't matter because you're living in the relationship. You might be presenting something beautiful to the world and inside you're like, mm, it's not quite there. So, you know, a lot of the steps that led up to this are how you get that relationship there. But this last one is a reminder to do the little things and do them well. Like make your lover a cup of tea or coffee in the morning. Make a point to just kiss them and say, good morning. How did you sleep? Make a point to tell them that you love them. Don't assume that, oh, well, they know, you know, they know. And when you say it, mean it. Don't just say it because it's some kind of platonic thing we say now. Love you. Love you. Bye. Like, I love you. See them. Look at them compliment them, touch them, hug them, pause. You need this as much as they do. And sometimes they need it more. And sometimes the responsibility in relationship is that you, you've got to be the one that does that because that's their needs. You know, that's their love language, whatever it is. So a lot of this stuff is challenging. It's really challenging. Potentially some of the most confronting work as a human is relationship, like a conscious relationship. Because again, it, it is that mirror. It does show us like, oh wow, I have a really hard time with that. And I was unaware of that before. And now because I have a hard time with it, the awareness doesn't just wave a magic wand and fix it. Now I've got to do the work. Now I've got to figure out why it's hard for me to communicate my needs, why it's hard for me to share, why it's hard for me to be vulnerable. And then we look back and it's like, well, of course, you know, because when I did that in the past, I was hurt for it. I've had my heart broken my last partner was abusive, whatever it is. So you've got this element now of being a human, you know, the brain, the predict and protect machine. It's trying to protect you from that thing that happened in the past by trying to predict the future, by making sure that the only way it can predict the future is you doing the same things you've always done. And then you get what you've always got. So we need to update. We need to do the mindset work. We need to use the relationship as a way to kind of like polish the mirror, if you will. If relationships are the mirror, 
then we need to get to work polishing it if we're looking through a cloudy dirty mirror and then blaming and shaming and well it's all them and they did this and we're not fully stepping into our radical responsibility of our 50 percent and bringing as much of our 100 percent to that with honesty and with love and in, with integrity then i feel like we're we're doomed to have a meh relationship and i don't think that people want a meh relationship i really don't you know i've, I've often joked that i am a marriage counselor disguised as a health coach <laughs> because whenever I have clients, a lot of the time when they're in relationship, a lot of what we end up talking about is their relationship and they want to be better for that relationship and they want to have more fun and connection with the partner, but it, it does require work. It's not all work. And if you do this early hard graft, if you will, it just sets the scene for the beautiful nature of relationship down the line. You know, it's the choose your hard, right? The hard of the conversations and this work now or the hard of the worst case scenario down the, down the line of, of divorce and heartbreak. Like, that's really hard. This is hard too. But there's an element of us that can choose it. Like, what do we want? And I think it's very important at this point, if you are in relationship, to reflect for a moment on your current trajectory. Not necessarily your current results. Don't focus so much on, on, on exactly like what it is and how it looks and feels now. But pay attention to the signals and the cues for what that's going to look like one year, three years, five years, 10 years from now. The little patterns, the little things, the little things you're sweeping under the rug, the little bit of lack of communication, the little triggers, the things that you're acting out in the shadows, et cetera, et cetera. And just play those out in your mind and ask yourself the honest question. If, if nothing changes, what does that look like in the relationship five years from now, 10 years from now? Or do we not even make it to 10 years? And there is the uncomfortable truth sometimes of what needs to be done. Because if you look at that and you're like, oh, if we just keep doing the same thing 10 years from now, we're still madly in love and hopefully we've got a family and we're doing all this stuff. And then great, you don't need to change a thing. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if you look at that and you say, Ooh, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't feel too good. I don't, know if, I don't know if we make it through that. I don't know that the fact that I don't like him or her that much when she does this now, I'm going to be able to stand that in another few years. But we can get ahead of that. We don't need to wait. We don't need to wait to be reactive. We don't need to wait for disaster to then see if we can pick up the pieces and put it back together. We can be proactive. We can be solutions-oriented now instead of then. Nobody regrets starting sooner in pretty much everything in life. Health, movement, etc. Nobody regrets starting sooner. Nobody would regret working on the relationship sooner either because it's just, it's the thing that is so valuable and so required in a sense. So like I said, these are just some of my reflections on a relationship that is not perfect. I don't think the perfect relationship exists. If it does, maybe you should be sitting down here and having this conversation and all of the experts and all the people that talk about this talk about that too. It's still hard. <laughs> even if you know all of this, even if you're doing all of this, it's still hard because it's hard. It's hard being a human sometimes. But maybe it could be less hard than we make it. And maybe it doesn't need to be all hard. And maybe it can be fun and enjoyable too. And then there's moments and seasons, you know? So sharing some perspective, sharing some lessons. There are many more lessons. I would love to hear your lessons. Let us know in the comments, you know? Send us the DMs. Like, what would you add to this list? What would be your six rules for a radical relationship? This, this is something that is very different because we're all very different people. And our relationships look different. But I think there's something in there for everyone. And I think that if, whether you're at the stage in life where you're trying to call in the relationship or you're at the stage in life where you're in your new relationship, 
or you're 10 years into this thing and you want to inject some life back into it, I think there's something you can take there and really run with it. And maybe if you're brave enough, you listen to your partner. You listen together with this and say, let's reflect on those. Where are we at? Okay, like nailing one, two, and three, but four, five, and six could do some work. And then just, just again, having that open and honest conversation. So we appreciate you all for tuning in. This is a unique show. We didn't have any callers for this show. Oh, we do. Cool. We'll just pause for a second at the end. Or yeah, we good? yeah, if you want to wrap it up, so yeah. that concludes okay. that session. We're not going to do any live Trying to figure out where I where left that. So, with all of that said, you know what time it is. It's time to chat to one of our callers. Just one today. One great question from Alexa from Arizona. Alexa, are you with us? What can we help you with? Let's have a chat. Hi, thank you so, so much. Hope your day is going amazing. It is, thank you. Um, so, perfect. Uh, so my question, I recently actually found out that I'm pregnant. Um, I've been on a carnivore diet for about five months now and been going great prior to pregnancy as well. I've been loving it um, mainly for muscle gain. That's big for me as an athlete. Cool. But now I'm navigating this whole don't do this, don't eat that with pregnancy, just all mm. these different opinions coming at me. And um, big ones, I just kind of wanted to hear your perspective on the concept of raw dairy, um, overall carnivore diet, and then also sauna while mm -hmm, pregnant, mm -hmm. because those are just some interesting ones that you get a lot of opposing viewpoints on. Of course, of course. Well, first off, congratulations, Alexa. I sensed uh, maybe a oh. little bit of excitement in your voice or, or surprise. Was it a surprise that you got yeah. pregnant? Was this like, a, oh, okay, we're doing this now. Um, it was honestly unplanned, but there's a lot of excitement to it just as much. So excellent, exciting getting to navigate something new. It is. It's very exciting. I've been there. It's kind of terrifying at the same time. And I'd love, just love the way you're approaching this in a very intentional way. And you're, you're clearly clued up about your health and stuff. So let's, let's unpack some of this question here. And obviously, you know, we got to do the disclaimer, not a medical doctor, et cetera, et cetera. But what I can say is my wife has, we have a three and a half year old son and my wife is currently pregnant and uh, we practice an animal-based lifestyle. So I can share from my perspective and from the many, many bits of anecdata within this community, what other people do, whilst obviously not having this be prescriptive. So the one thing I will say is you are dead on when you say that you are going to meet a lot of resistance for choosing to kind of forge your own path in terms of how you choose to be pregnant, how you choose to eat. And and it will continue, you know, with, with, with pregnancy and with childbirth. It's very interesting because all of a sudden everybody's an expert and everybody knows when the reality is nobody's an expert and very few, few people actually know. And the one thing I always like to think in, in this realm of, of being a parent is that there are no perfect solutions. There are only trade-offs. And what that means is everybody is different. Everybody's life is different and their needs are different. And the way they choose to do this is, is it's not perfect for everyone. It's a trade-off. When you do one thing, you have the open loop of not doing the other thing and et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to see you and acknowledge you for that because it can be really... Yeah, it can be lonely sometimes, especially if family have differing opinions, the people that are close to you. But ultimately, what it's got to come down to at the end of the day is that you do the thing that you feel is right for you and you feel is right for this baby that you're nurturing and you feel is most aligned with your values. So back into 
the nitty gritty, if you will, I will say that my wife drinks a ton of raw dairy and eats a ton of raw cheese. Now, we, we kind of understand the, the, uh, the standard narrative around uh, a lot of this dietary advice when it comes to pregnancy in particular. And one of the things I often like to reflect on is if you've been carnivore and, and in this world for a while, you probably realize that the standard nutritional advice, not pregnancy for a minute, but just the standard, like the SAD diet, standard American diet, etc., you see that that dietary advice is pretty much trash and junk. So why would the standard advice for prenatal nutrition and you know childbirthing nutrition, etc., why would that be any different if they're kind of factored by the same institutions? And that's not to say throw all the baby out with the bathwater. It's not to say ignore everything that they say. It's to say to do your own research, of course, and to take everything with a grain of salt because if you look at the foods they tell you not to eat, you kind of go, wait a minute, they, they don't want you eating like so of much of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. We're talking about the fear-mongering around raw dairy. We're talking about ideally not eating steak. And if you do, you have to like cook it into oblivion. No like raw fish and sashimi. The, the, the list goes on and on. Organ meats gets complicated. People don't think you should do that. And when the reality of we understand is when we fuel a body, efficiently with the adequate nutrition earth-grown nutrients in like an animal-based setting and we are creating life inside of us then we're giving the best possible materials to this what is currently a baby making miracle like a baby making factory and you could provide your body with cotton wool buds and fluff and junk or you could provide it with the best possible materials to create life and i think when you choose something more like an animal-based lifestyle and you have things in there like egg yolks and meat and raw dairy and fruits and all the things that we prioritize that you are giving your body the correct instructions on how to build healthy life now you have to take into account you know why they say don't eat certain foods you know contamination risks and listeria and you know whatever else they say but those things also exist on vegetables which they'll tell you to eat and etc etc so on that front i would say trust your gut trust your intuition i can share that my wife eats a fully animal-based diet she does a lot of organs from heart and soil she does a lot of raw dairy she eats a ton of steak she'll do sushi and a first pregnancy she was very healthy very happy no non-existent morning sickness and in this one the second run around, same thing again. So we are, quote unquote, breaking all the rules and thriving as a result. And I think there's something to that. And I think that when you're in these communities and you see and we hear from our customers uh, that they are taking these supplements and living an animal-based lifestyle, what's very interesting is you see that a lot of moms found this after the first child or maybe even after a couple. And they have this comparison of like, oh, my first pregnancy was terrible. And this time I've done animal-based and I've removed seed oils and gluten and I focus more on nutrifying myself. And this pregnancy was blissful. So I think with that said, I think, you know, the, the don't do this and the fear mongering from family, you, you have to just be cautious maybe sometimes with what you share with them um, because you know if they're gonna if you're gonna meet resistance you've got to be ready to defend those positions or you can be tactful with what you share and you could tell them you're just doing what everybody else does and maybe they won't know any different and uh, you've just got to do what feels right for you and uh, trust in that 
the one thing before we get into the sauna conversation, because you mentioned um, carnivore, like was how you got into this and that you're an athlete. I'm curious now being pregnant, are, are you modifying that? Are you adding in more carbohydrates? Because it does appear that the, the body's needs for carbohydrates and some good healthy glucose goes up during pregnancy. So I'm just curious how you're evolving from maybe where you were at before pregnancy to now. For sure. So started pre-pregnancy pretty much fully carnivore. I would say like 90 to 10% of carnivore. Um, so pretty much sticking to that. But then I've started to add in more of the fruits, mm -hmm. less the, uh, the rice, potatoes, mm -hmm. things like that, just because I wanted something more, a little more nutrient dense than just like a starch. Yeah. So decided to add the fruits in. Um, still not a super amount, just enough through maybe like a shake in the morning or yeah. something like that. Um, just to be an addition and also for taste, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's all I've really transitioned to. That with a little bit, I was, I started with A2 dairy. That's why I yeah. asked about the raw dairy aspect. Um, but again, that's kind of all I've been sticking to. Still trying to maintain the carnivore diet, which is a little bit of leniency into yeah. animal-based. But body's been feeling great. Good, good. And I think, look, the, the, yeah. the biggest point you just made in all of that is I feel good. And if you contrast that to how yeah. most women, you know, report being pregnant, which is like it's 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 misery and morning sickness and I have no energy. So you're clearly doing something right. And I think adding in, you know, the raw dairy and the fruits is a, is a huge step in the right direction. And, you know, as pregnancy evolves, it's, it's a long process. You're probably realizing that now you're like, oh, OK, I'm pregnant for a long time and things change and cravings change and needs change. And what starts out maybe being low carbohydrate turns into more moderate from those foods. Again, you know, you don't necessarily have to start eating whole grain, this, that, and the other and carb loading by any means, but just maybe your body craves a little bit more of this. And it does, it's very interesting. If you look at a book called Real Food for Pregnancy by Lily Nichols, uh, she has some really cool research in there all about more of a paleo-ish slash animal-based approach to neutrifying oneself uh, for healthy fetal development and pregnancy and all of that fun stuff. And she highlights some cool research that the body's more insulin sensitive during pregnancy. And she maps out some suggestions for carb ranges and things like that. But at the same time, doesn't take a dogmatic approach that each person needs X amount. It's, it's how you feeling. Are you, you know, are you, are you, you're growing healthily, you're feeling good and you're, you know, still able to live a life that you enjoy, which is another part of this question, you know, being an athlete, moving around and that was kind of one of your questions right how do i still train is it safe to train is it safe to do the other things i like in the sauna so again not medical advice and all of that stuff but the training one is is much easier to answer it's basically it's pretty well bore out in the literature there's a lot of studies about this if you type in you know uh, resistance training or aerobic training or sauna um you know plus pregnancy and you do ncbi to search on pubmed or something like that you'll get tons of results and the reoccurring theme is it's pretty safely um bore out in the literature that you can exercise at a pretty high intensity for anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes without causing any um, significant problems, you know, to fetal development or whatever else might might manifest there. And I think strength training, of course, is actually training for labor. 
Like we don't often see it in that sense. Labor can be hard and it can be intense and it can be long. And the longer that you train and you, you actually like you're in the gym and you're pushing your body to its limits and you're learning how to grind through those last couple of reps, etc., will transfer to the skill of labor, your resiliency and your toughness and your grit that you've probably got a lot of as an athlete anyway, because you know, hopefully you have a wonderful delivery, but you speak to any woman that's delivered naturally and like, oh yeah, it's, it's work. It's, it's, it's hard. So, you know, that's props to, to women because they're significantly stronger, I think, than, than a lot of us men that think we're strong because we can lift heavy weights. You, you guys are doing the real heavy lifting there. So, you know, stay in the gym, stay exercising, do the things that make you feel good. I think what, what comes to mind here around the exercise and the sauna piece is it's just not pushing to crazy extremes. You know, I think, if you were working out to failure six days a week, you know, every single week, I think there's a, 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 diff, a different conversation to be had there. If you're in the gym, I mean, even every day, but you're moderating your intensity and you're switching it up and you're doing some mobility and on three days a week, your resistance training and, you know, other days you're doing some Tabata sprints or something that gets your heart rate up that it's, again, it's pretty bore out in the literature that it's totally fine to do that upwards to like 90% of, of, you know, you know, max heart rate. So our max working heart rate for periods of time. So I think you're good there on the sauna thing. It gets a little more interesting. You know, I was looking, I was trying to look and see if I could pull some like hard facts and numbers for you here, but it's kind of split. The The consensus seems to be that it's totally fine as long as you're not boiling the egg for a long time. You know, periods of time up to 20 minutes seem to be regard, widely regarded as safe. Anecdotally speaking, the Scandinavian countries that are a huge fan of heat exposure therapy through saunas, typically it's in the zeitgeist over in that country that it is totally fine to be pregnant and go in the sauna. Obviously, women take hot baths, which also increases the temperature. But the the, the relative increase in the core temperature um, at durations of like 10 to 20 minute sessions is is not enough to cause excessive rising of the core temperature that could potentially, you know, be problematic to the developing fetus. So I think it's, again, if you like the sauna and it's a place for you to chill and, and breathe and it's not super extreme. And I think, again, there's a lot of scope with saunas, right? Is it 165 degree infrared sauna or is it a 230 degree barrel sauna? And, you know, that mediates how long I stay in it. And, you know, just practicing maybe a little more moderation, you know, this is sometimes the the trick of being an athlete. You know how hard you can go. You know that you have an extra gear. But maybe, you know, in this phase of of developing life and, and transitioning a little bit, it's not about going to that next gear. It's not about being like a badass and pushing through. It's about being a badass in a, in a slightly different way. And maybe that just requires a little more awareness and, you know, not go into extremes as much as maybe we would do if we were unaware, right, that we were pregnant. So, it's hard to give like hard and fast yes, no's on all of this stuff. It's kind of a yes, no, it depends and maybe, but I think uh, there's some, some good stuff there to, to chew on. And I'm curious, you know, how that feels for you and how that sits with you. Yeah. I mean, all greatly appreciated. I training wise. So I am actually a power lifter, but I also am FRC certified. I know you've nice. mentioned that yeah. prior, so I know you know that, that term, um, so I do a lot of joint work in and of itself already. And my training has changed from powerlifting a bit, but in a good way. So body has been adjusting very well diet-wise, movement-wise. The sauna one I was mainly curious about because you hear all about the rising temperature mm. side of it. So that was more perspective-based that I was curious on. But feel good about all that info you gave me. It's very reassuring from your personal experience and then just, 
overall accounts of carnivore and animal-based diets. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome, Alexa. Yeah. It, you know, in general, it's just the things that make you healthy when you're not pregnant are usually the things that only enhance and make you healthy when you're pregnant too. I think, like you said, it's just, it, it changes, sure. it tweaks, you know, you're starting to, you, you know, you'll feel it. You're moving differently. Like, oh, I have a big old belly now that I'm not, like, when I drop down for a burpee, I, oh, I can't do that anymore because <laughs> I have this thing, you know, there. So it's just changing and it's shifting and it's adapting. And I guess that's the nature of parenthood in a nutshell too. It's, it's, it's constantly challenging you in new and different ways. And instead of just shutting down and, and maybe listening to more of the conventional rules that feel so restrictive sometimes, it's still celebrating your health and doing the things that make you healthy and knowing that you can have a wonderful pregnancy and a wonderful motherhood um that still you know breaks breaks some rules along the way it's still radical you know that's what that's what we do here you know we're we're rule breakers not recklessly not for the sake of feeling cool because we're rebellions but because we know a lot of the advice is not it's not right you know it's not helping people it's not it's not working so let's Let's change it up. Let's mix it up and just want to celebrate you for, for doing that. So best of luck on the continued pregnancy journey, uh, Alexa. And I'm sure, you know, a happy, healthy baby is coming your way. And, and then the work really begins, right? So keep doing your thing. Keep doing your thing. All right. Familia, that is it. That is it for the show. I hope you've got some good relationship stuff to sink your teeth into. Again, I think this is one of the most beautiful things that we can have in life and also one of the most difficult and triggering at times. Uh, so we must approach it intentionally, right? We must approach it with a desire to want to be more for each other, for relationship, for our future families, like in Alexa's case. And we've got to do the work, right? We've got to do the work and, and we've got to sink our teeth into this stuff. So I hope today was valuable. I hope you learned some stuff. Like I said, if you have a partner, listen to this podcast with them or send it to them. Um, not passive aggressively, of course, like, hey, you need to listen to this and buck your stuff up, but <laughs> collaboratively. Or send it to people that you know, that you're, you know, they're, they're friends, they're in a relationship and they're more kind of aware of this, you know, kind of like conscious relationship stuff, doing the work. And uh, yeah, uh, we always appreciate your support. Best of luck on your future relationships or your current relationships and stay tuned because we will see you next week as always big love fam all right friends thanks for tuning in to another episode of radical health radio we got a fresh new podcast for you every wednesday if you enjoyed the show consider liking subscribing reviewing and rating us on your podcast platform it helps to spread this message of radical health we'll see you next week